This is a throwdown, a showdown. Hell no, Rob Fay Nation can't slow down. It's gonna go. What is going on? I'm Rob Fay. Welcome to your Wednesday edition of Sports Bar Radio. It is the 25th day of August, and I hope this podcast finds you well. We are going to go through a lot of different journeys today. We're going to talk a little bit about the NFL as they are on the verge of starting their regular season. We'll talk about the Canadian Football League. Major League Baseball has got some really interesting stories this year, and not all of them are good. Some of them are pretty ominous, and I mean that in the fact that the Baltimore Orioles went out last night and lost their 19th consecutive game. The Arizona Diamondbacks are the only team in baseball that can't really laugh at that because they've had a stretch like that as well. We will get into the conversation about teams that are just miles away from mediocrity. As well, we're going to get into the NHL. It is quiet on all fronts in Canuckland. Is that a good sign or is that a bad sign when it comes to Jim Benning and the core of this team? And lastly, we'll touch on the UFC and Conor McGregor and the U.S. Open, where local tennis star is living the magic one more time. But first, before we get to all of those stories, let's get to that one story that just doesn't seem to be going away. If anything, there's more layers to it. Let me get you to that one story that rises above them all. Let me get you to the lead. We've scoured the globe for the stories that matter to you. Okay, well, let's be honest, Rob picks most of the stories, so maybe they matter more to him? Anyways, pull up a chair and let our bartender pour you a cold one because there's a lot going on in your world today. Okay, so we're going to get to all the news of the day before everything is said and done here. I mean, that's why you stop by Sports Bar Radio, isn't it? The Athletics' Daniel Kaplan coming out with an article the other day about the San Jose Sharks' Evander Kane, who has had a number of off-ice problems this year. He's filed for bankruptcy, had the spat with his wife as they got divorced, and the report in The Athletic, what was it, a couple of days ago, a couple of weeks ago, suggesting that players on his team disliked him so much that they wanted to be traded. And now there is yet another lawsuit about a lady who's saying, her, well, actually, she's not a lady. Her name is Hope Parker, and she says that Kane reneged on a promise to pay her at least $2 million if she aborted their pregnancy. And it looks like this one is going to go to court. So instead of me worrying about the litigation and how that all breaks down, let's go back to one of the things that I just mentioned, that the players reportedly dislike him so much that they want him out. So how would that work? It's a great question, isn't it? Now, I've been fortunate enough that I've been in scenarios where I've actually been able to see with my own eyes players that didn't really fit the mold get exited out the back door. But let's break down what would happen in a professional sport at an elite level. Like, let's say, for example, let's use Evander Kane. Agents are involved, general managers are involved, head coaches are involved, captains are involved. There's so many different components to this, but moving a player in a salary cap age is not as easy as it would have been 20, 25 years ago when you didn't have to worry about that. If the guy was being a jackass, you just made a couple of calls and out the door he went. So where do you hide if you're an ownership and you realize that you have a bad seed, a bad egg on your team, and you need to make a move? Do you have clauses in the contract that if you have conduct unbecoming of the organization that they have the right to move on you? Nah, that doesn't hold water. So really, the only thing that you can do is work with an agent to try to find a way to get that player 
to greener pastures. Let's localize this a little bit. I think everybody knows of the last 16 to 18 months, Jake Vertanen has been that much more of a burden for the Vancouver Canucks. Just never was able to get over the hump in the court of public opinion. And that's to go beyond what Travis Green thought of him or Jim Benning thought of him or his teammates thought of him. He just never was able to connect with the fan base here, despite the fact that he was, quote, the local kid. I think we all knew that it was just a matter of time before Jake had to be moved. Everybody looked around at Jim Benning and said, why aren't you moving this guy? He's a liability. He's not good on the ice and he's not having the best ride off the ice either. But organizations in this day and age are really between a rock and a hard place. You think of what Evander Kane makes. It's not an easy sale, especially when you bring the baggage of what he's doing off the ice with him. The organization can't simply say, well, that's going on off the ice, so you're out. So more often than not, one of two things happen. You either wait him out or you let the players have a shot at a guy like Evander Kane. You know, I've seen Evander Kane in person. It is an intensity that you will rarely find. He is what many would consider intimidating. So maybe you do this collectively. Maybe you have all of your captains sit him down and say, listen, we have to find a way to fix this. And if he doesn't come back to you, well, then at least you know when you're passing him in the room and you don't say any word to him that you have your reason, that you tried, that you reached out and there just wasn't any connection. Nothing's worse for a player than feeling alienated, especially in a team game, a team sport. So all of a sudden, there's that guy, he walks in, nobody's talking to him. And I'm not saying that the cold treatment works, but if you have tried everything, if you've reached out to him and it's just not there, well, at least you as a player have your out. And then you say to the general manager, and then you say to the head coach, we may need to make a change. So this is how it's going to go. The players are going to look at the coach and say, we need to have something happen here. The coach is going to talk to that player, try to connect with him. If he can't, well, then they're going to talk to the GM who's going to talk to the agent. They're going to look at the numbers. They're going to try to find a situation that maybe they can work for him. Then they got to convince that other general manager that that is a risk worth taking. And hopefully you can get a deal done. But I can't see another general manager right now in the NHL saying, you know what? I'll take that on especially when you think of the types of off-ice scenarios that Evander Kane is dealing with right now. It's not petty stuff, like maybe he gambles to, oh, actually, I can't use that one either. There are just certain players that find themselves in trouble at every turn. And you know what? If they can't look in the mirror, if they can't figure it out themselves, they don't realize the window in the NHL or in any sport is as small as it is, they're all of a sudden going to be on the outside looking in. Like, Evander Kane isn't getting any younger, and sure, he has made his money, but if you think of what lies ahead for Evander Kane, how do you, as an athlete, say to yourself, well, this sets up well for the future. Nobody media-wise is going to touch him. No organization is going to want to touch him. So what's he going to do after hockey's done? See, there's something to be said for being a nice guy in sports. You look at a guy like baseball's Ryan Dempster, a good pitcher by Major League standards, but he'll always have a job in professional sports because he's likable. People want to be around him. And you can say that for a lot of people in a lot of different sports. But the guys that are the assholes rarely find their way back. And if anything, end up finding themselves destitute before everything is said and done. Because the money eventually runs out. And if you're losing court cases because of abortions or divorces gone wrong or gambling on sports, it's all going to come back. You can see this. It's a tragedy novel that is writing itself in real time right in front of us. But the question remains, what do you do as an athlete when you don't get along with somebody on your team? 
I feel like the San Jose Sharks have used all of their get-out-of-jail-free cards with Evander Kane. I'm sure the players have talked to him. I'm sure his coaching staff has talked to him. I bet his agent has talked to him. I'm sure the general managers and the powers that be within the Sharks organization have talked to him. I'm sure the lawyers have talked to him. And if all of those people have tried to connect and Evander Kane still doesn't, quote, get it, then he is a victim of his own circumstance and you cannot feel sorry for him. Listen, it's a team game. And being on a team doesn't mean that you just do well on the ice for the 60 minutes or at the practice. It's a 24-7 commitment to your teammates, to your colleagues. And if they go out there and they bust their ass and they're doing stuff for the community and they're trying as hard as they can to keep that brand high and do things for the betterment of the organization, meanwhile, you're accused of not paying off a woman because she had an abortion and then you didn't buck up, or that your divorce went sour, or that you were betting on the game, or insert situation here, how can your teammates vouch for you? How can they want you in the room? How can they not be going to their coach, to their general manager, to their organization saying, make a move? And as a fan, how can you not support those teammates saying it's time to make a move? Evander Kane is out of cards. If anything, he's going to spend his next couple of years in court battles or try to settle stuff out of court, which is going to take away from his wallet, it's going to take away from his overall worth, and it's going to hit his credibility even more than it already has. Somebody needs to give Evander Kane a come-to-Jesus moment or this party is over. And beyond Evander Kane, to all athletes who don't think in 2021 that the off-ice stuff doesn't trickle to the on-ice and into the general media, you can't just say, hey man, I need my privacy. We don't live in that world anymore. Bottom line is our stuff seeps, it leaks, it's what it is. So you have to conduct yourself better. I wish Jake Vertanen well. I hope things remedy themselves. I wish Evander Kane well. I hope things remedy themselves for him as well. But you can't be a liability off the ice and expect your teammates to support you on the ice. It's not fair to them to ask that of them, and it's not fair to the organization who's now gonna find a dance partner that it's gonna try to pick you up if they even want you at pennies on the dollar. This organization gave you the opportunity, they paid for your services, you have an obligation to make sure that you covet that opportunity. And if you don't, and everybody turns their back on you, you got nobody to blame but yourself. All right, let's focus on some of the other stuff. You know what? Rebecca Moreno of tennis fame is back at it again. Serena pulling out with a hamstring injury and the Toronto Blue Jays wondering if they shouldn't have made a trade that cost them two big-time prospects in exchange for a pitcher that right now isn't living up to the hype. Let's get you to that one room where we keep all of the sports, all of the news of the day. Let me get you into the VIP room. You knew tonight was going to be a good night, didn't you? Guys, the ladies don't want you wasting their time, so get to the point. 10 topics, 10 minutes. Hold on to your drinks because we're about to bring you the entire world of sports before the DJ can pull out the vinyl for his next set. Welcome to the VIP room. Okay, let's start on the diamond. Toronto Blue Jays around the trade deadline went out to the Minnesota Twins and offered two key prospects to get pitcher Jose Barrios. And at the time, a lot of people thought that that was the one missing piece in the Toronto Blue Jays rotation that could help them get over the hump, that would help them compete with the Rays, the Red Sox, and the mighty Yankees. And aside from his first outing in Toronto, it's been a bit of hit and miss for Jose Barrios as a member of the Toronto Blue Jays. So before we get back to the steep price, quote unquote, that the Blue Jays paid for him, it's one of those situations where you sit back and say, okay, well, what do we have here? Because he's going to be a free agent down the road. 
A four-run first inning for the White Sox, enough to sink the Blue Jays last night, who have now lost eight of their past 11. Barrios has not looked good. Pete Walker got ejected in the first inning of yesterday's game. Uh, Charlie Montoyo's trying to find the bright light at the end of this tunnel. And you start to say, was this the right move for the Toronto Blue Jays? Pitching is so risky, isn't it? There are certain years, like, for example, I remember several years ago. I'm going to date myself by saying this. Toronto Blue Jays, in contention back in the early 90s, went out at the trade deadline and got themselves a guy like David Cohn. Great pitcher, right? Guy that showed up and helped them towards the World Series. Jose Barrios was one of the most sought-after pitchers heading into that deadline in baseball. So the fact that the Blue Jays went out and had to pay that price, which again included Austin Martin and Simeon Woods Richardson, some in Blue Jay Nation thought that was steep, but they understood that this was the chance for the Blue Jays to go all in. You've got a young Bo Bichette, you've got a young Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Teoscar Hernandez is in his prime, you've got a good rotation with some guys that are exceeding expectations like Robbie Ray and Steven Matz, hell, just go for it. I also said you got to go for this, but if it doesn't work out with Jose Barrios, now you're going to have the naysayers that are going to come back and say, well, wait a second, what if Austin Martin out of Vanderbilt, the guy that we took with one of the highest picks we've had in the last 20 years, what if he turns into something? That's baseball. And for the Toronto Blue Jays right now, who find themselves 65-59, and 59, sinking like a rock in the American League East, you just wonder what the end result will be. Blue Jays are now 12 games out of first place. We're simply looking at wildcard at this point. Don't you even think about the division title. Toronto Blue Jays, in that regard, now five and a half games out. But they've got to leap over Seattle, who's three games out, and Oakland, who are two games out. Luckily for Toronto, Oakland is just as miserable as the Blue Jays have been. They've lost four in a row. They're two and eight in their past ten. But you look at teams like New York who have now won 11 straight games in a row. The Yankees, the Pinstripers, 11 wins in a row. They're looking to lock up that wild card. Maybe, just maybe, try to get to the top of the American League East. But you know what? They're fine. Boston, in that number two slot in the wild card in the American League, they've won two in a row and are starting to pick up a little bit of steam. For the Toronto Blue Jays, who have now played 124 games, time is the issue here. It is one of those situations where Pete Walker is going to have to dig deep and really squeeze every last drop out of that bullpen. Jose Barrios is going to have to turn it around. Steven Matz is going to have to find one more gear. Robbie Ray is going to have to continue to exceed expectations. In other words, it's going to have to be everything all hands on deck if the Blue Jays are going to make a push here. But let's not let the offense off of the hook. The offense for the Toronto Blue Jays as of late hasn't exactly been lighting the world on fire as well. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who many thought had finally turned the corner as a true bonafide franchise player, and he still is, has had an August to forget. Through 21 games heading into last night's action, Guerrero in the month of August hitting 229 with just three home runs. At one point, you were talking about him as a potential MVP candidate, and it makes you wonder, and again, I'm not going to be the naysayer here, I'm not going to be the fly in the ointment, but when he was playing in Dunedin, and he was playing in Buffalo, those ballparks for a bat that big can sometimes produce some lofty numbers. Heading back to Toronto, it has cooled off. And again, He's still hitting 309. He's still got 36 home runs. He's on a pace to finish with what, 40, 45? If he hits 47, which could happen, he will tie George Bell for the second highest mark in Toronto Blue Jays history. 
But you take George Springer out of that lineup again with another injury, Bo Bichette cooling off, and there's nobody protecting Vladimir Guerrero Jr. anymore. The question now is fatigue. This Blue Jays team has been on the road for more than a year, and yes, they've been back in Toronto for like, what, a month? And I think the excitement, all the adrenaline of finally being back home. Remember that 11-game homestand where they were, what, 8-3, and three, something like that, 9-2? I think that's now worn off, and the reality is, is the Blue Jays are still a bat or two away. And yes, one of those bats is George Springer. So, question is, can they make a run? I got a feeling if they miss the playoffs this year, that as good as it's been for Charlie Montoyo, questions will start to surround around whether or not he could get the most out of this team. Listen, there's not a lot of big names out there, so maybe Charlie is the guy. And the fact that he's been on the road for the last year with this team kind of makes you feel like he deserves another season, another kick at the can with 81 games at Rogers Center. But let's remember something here. You're playing with the primes or the early primes of two of your best players in the organization in Bo Bichette and Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who eventually are going to be coming up on bigger contracts and eventually the Blue Jays are going to have to make some big decisions. If this is a team that continues to finish third or fourth in the division, missing the postseason, something's got to give. Some message has to be delivered to the city and to the team, and you have to wonder if it is Charlie Montoyo whose name will step to the forefront. Okay, so beyond the Blue Jays, a bird of another feather is struggling as well, and this one is an epic failure. The Baltimore Orioles last night losing to the Los Angeles Angels, and that losing skid has now reached... 19 games. 19! Baltimore has the longest losing streak in Major League Baseball in the past 16 years and are two away from tying the American League record, which happens to be their own record from 1988 when they didn't win a game between April 4th and April the 28th. They have a Major League worst rotation ERA. Listen to this. Their team ERA is 6.5. Two, two, six. They have been outscored 163 to 55 in this 19-game skid. They are on pace for 112 losses this year. It would be the second most in franchise history because two years ago, what, three years ago, it was 2018, the Orioles lost 115 games. How on earth are Baltimore Oriole fans able to walk out the front door in the morning? It is unbelievable how bad this team is. I don't know where they go. How many more first-round picks do you give them? How many more top-end picks do you give them? It seems like the one franchise that just cannot turn it around. I mean, Detroit used to be a bottom feeder in the American League. They've sorted it out. But the Baltimore Orioles, since they faced the Blue Jays in that one game play-in, have just not been the same team. It is staggering to me how bad they are. Now, as bad as the Orioles are, a team that is going the other way, I mentioned them briefly, the New York Yankees, currently the hottest team in baseball. They have won 11 games in a row. And the Dodgers winners last night, they are 9-1 in their past 10, two and a half games back of San Francisco. San Diego, by the way, is 14 games out of first in the West in the National League. After going out and getting all of that star power, this is a team that is five games below 500 away from San Diego, 2-8 in their past 10. Losers are two in a row. They just fired their pitching coach this week. What a story San Diego is in Major League Baseball. 
All right, let's get to football, and we'll start south of the border because I know they're getting ready for their regular season. Trevor Lawrence has been named the starting quarterback by his coach, Urban Meyer, down in Jacksonville. Nobody really surprised by this. He did get into a couple of preseason games, earning his stripes there. And for the Jacksonville Jaguars, you feel like they're making all the right moves? You know, like, for example, very early on, they got rid of Tim Tebow and very quickly named their franchise quarterback right out of the chutes. Let's hope that franchise can turn the quarter. Teddy Bridgewater has been named the starting quarterback for the Denver Broncos ahead of Week 1's showdown with the New York Giants. Bridgewater had a pretty good battle with Drew Locke going, and I think everybody knows that Locke at some point is going to become the number one. But you know what? He fought and he fought hard, and Teddy Bridgewater won over Broncos coach Vic Fangio, who feels that he's got two quarterbacks right now that he can win with. Well, you might want to call the Los Angeles Rams the Georgia Bulldogs West because over the last couple of years, everybody from Todd Gurley, Matthew Stafford, and now Sony Michelle are going to be putting on the yellow and blue of the Rams. As Los Angeles makes a move that they absolutely had to make, the Patriots get a couple of picks from the Rams, and in exchange, Sony Michelle replaces running back Cam Akers. Sony Michelle scored the only touchdown in Super Bowl 53 and just happened to do it against the Rams. And by the way, Eckers is out after tearing his Achilles just before the start of training camp. To the Canadian Football League, it was a game that was supposed to take place tomorrow. The Edmonton Elks getting ready to go to Toronto and take on the Argonauts. That game has been postponed. And the reason being now as many as 11 Elks players have tested positive for COVID-19. This is the worst case scenario for the Canadian Football League. Having one of their teams riddled with COVID-19 they will probably be on the shelf for at least the next week as they work that through their organization. Toronto Argonauts 2-1 first in the East, the Elks at 1-2, getting their lone victory against the BC Lions, who will be on the field 1-2, getting ready to take on the Ottawa Red Blacks. Mike Riley with 673 yards for a guy with a bum arm. He's been pretty good this year as far as throwing the ball and producing yardage. BC nearly 5-1 on yards gained through the air as opposed to running 289 per game for BC, just 62 on the ground. And I know what you're saying, it's the CFL. BC Lions coming off that 21-60 loss against Edmonton. The Rough Riders, a 23-10 loss at Saskatchewan. Rebecca Moreno is at it again. Remember a couple of weeks ago I mentioned that she was doing big things in Montreal at that tournament? Well, guess what? At the U.S. Open, she has found her way in. The number 175 player on the WTA wins her qualifying round at the U.S. Open. 6-3, 6-2 in just an hour and 15 minutes over Pana Uvardi and because of it, gets to participate in the U.S. Open. Her claim to fame is that she took on Venus Williams back in the second round of the 2010 U.S. Open and earned Venus Williams' respect in a hard-fought battle. Well, to the MMA, and Conor McGregor is showing that he is not only standing, but inching closer towards a return, saying that he is three to four weeks ahead of schedule when it comes to his leg being repaired. Now, he wants to stay in the conversation. He wants to be there when it comes to Nate Diaz. He wants his rematch, which I don't think he should get, against Dustin Poirier, but money talks. McGregor says that the injury started at training camp, and that is a part of the reason that he wants to get back in and settle this score. He's saying that the Poirier 3 fight doesn't really count. We'll have to wait and see, but I don't know if that's got the same cachet as it did even a couple of months ago. But again, Conor McGregor, Mystic Mac, he's finding his way back 
and doing it very soon. By the way, very quickly, Tyron Woodley getting ready to fight one of the Paul brothers as Jake Paul will step between the ropes to take him on. And a lot of people are saying that as good as it's been so far for the Paul brothers, that the bubble might burst on Jake if he loses badly. Now, yes, they're going to draw over a million buys. And yes, Paul is calling out everybody from Conor McGregor to Canelo Alvarez. But all it takes is one thrashing to all of a sudden make Jake Paul look very, very regular. And that comes up this weekend. Manny Pacquiao says he wants another shot at welterweight champion Jordanis Ugas. After his loss this past weekend, Ugas got himself a unanimous decision over Pacquiao, and some thought that Pac-Man after that fight was going to hang up his gloves. Instead, he wants to get right back in the ring with Ugas in January. And I kind of get it. Pacquiao takes a loss to Ugas, who had stepped into the main event on short notice when Earl Spence Jr. suffered an eye injury. Pacquiao said that he was suffering from leg cramps, it hindered his movement, and he said it again days after the defeat. He says, quote, In my entire career, Ugas was one of the easiest opponents. He only had one style. I should have been able to easily move away. You see how I just moved in my fights before. I couldn't move my fight. My legs just stopped. Period. Now, let's remember something. Manny Pacquiao is 42 years old. And Ugas, for what it's worth, even though he might be a single-style fighter, outlasted him, hit nearly 65% of his punches, and has kept relatively quiet. Pacquiao says, yes, I can come back in January. I will see about it. Quote, I know I can rematch him if I want. I just need to tell Al Heyman, who's the premier boxing champion's head, that that would be a fight that he'd want to do and there would be no problem. He says, quote, I think about it because I can't believe that one of the easiest opponents I ever faced did that, unquote. Wow, Pacquiao, I tell you what, feisty, heading into his 43rd year. All right, let's take our break here. When we come back, we're going to switch gears a little bit, talk about this mask mandate, the vac situation with all of the different stadiums around the Lower Mainland, and what it means to Canucks season ticket holders, what it means to the sales department of all these different organizations as well. Is it a detriment, or does this mask implementation by Dr. Bonnie Henry actually help you bring ease that when you go to the game, you're reducing your chances of contracting COVID-19. We're going to tackle that topic on the other side of the break. I'm Rob Fain. You're listening to Sports Bar Radio, as always, brought to you by Equity Guru. You're listening to Sports Bar Radio with Rob Fay, brought to you by Equity Guru. Equity Guru, investment information for millennials and madmen. This segment is brought to you by me, and my new enterprise, Nation Extreme Wrestling. Hey, what would happen if a wrestling mark from way back decided that he was going to start his own wrestling promotion here at home and have some of the most talented wrestlers in North America hang out with him? Well, tell you what, you can follow our journey at www.nationextremewrestling.com and stay tuned for show dates in the coming months. Welcome back to Sports Bar Radio with host Rob Fay, brought to you by Equity.Guru. All right, final segment of Sports Bar Radio for your Wednesday edition. I appreciate you stopping by. Reviews, sharing, all that usual stuff that every podcast under the sun asks you to do, I'm going to do it as well. So if you could please be so kind as to let people know what we're doing here, it would be much appreciated. And again, my thanks to everybody at Equity Guru. All right, so kind of a big deal when you think about the fact that we've bounced back and forth over the last year when it comes to the vaccination requirements, when it comes to the masking across the province and sports. 
sports venues have been one of the many that have kind of been a part of this yo-yo effect. And that is not taking a shot at anybody. I refuse to take a shot at Bonnie Henry or John Horgan. I refuse to take shots at organizations that try to work their way around this as they try to find a solution that keeps the doors open and their employees staffed. Listen, when I worked with the Vancouver Canadians and COVID first broke out, they furloughed half of their staff. It was a pretty big deal, and it really gutted the heart of that organization because there were some longtime employees that walked out the front door, and they were never sure if they were coming back. So I understand why organizations are desperately trying to A, keep the doors open, and B, keep their staff intact because it's hard to go out there and restaff certain positions, as the Vancouver Canucks are probably finding out right now, as the BC Lions and the Whitecaps and the Giants are also dealing with. But... I will say this, from a fan confidence perspective, it is really interesting to see how polarizing these decisions have been. Some fans don't understand why they need to show a proof of vaccination or why they have to be tested in advance of going through those front doors. And then the mask thing is just another layer implemented today in British Columbia that has people saying, wait, I have to show a vaccination card and I have to wear a mask throughout the duration of my time at these venues? Like, what are we doing here? I think where we're at right now is we have to double down. We have to make this push because if not, this could be three, four years of a seesaw and back and forth. The numbers are what they are. The Delta variant, I think, threw everybody for a curveball that's going to extend this probably another calendar year before everybody truly gets to vaccinated states of 80, what is it, 80, 85 percent before people can finally take the quote shackles off. But beyond that, I really just wonder if that increases your desire to go to a game. Because one of the benefits of going to a game is you're hanging out with your friends and you're getting to talk and converse. It's more than just cheering when a goal goes in and yelling when the fan cam's on you. It is just conversing and spending time. Like for example, BC Lions had 12,500 fans for their opener. There were a lot of people that were, I guess, congregating together. And those were the pictures that the newspapers took to show that there wasn't enough socially responsible distancing. You go to the hockey games and there's going to be these things where there are going to be odd seats that are going to be vacant as people try to do the social distancing thing as well. So my question to you is how does that make you feel? Does it make you feel like, you know what, cool, I'm willing to go there and wear my mask because I simply want to be at the game, or screw it, I'm not going to wear my mask, I'm just going to watch it for the comforts of my own home. I would like to think that this is a step forward, because this is happening in restaurants, this is happening in movie theaters, this is happening in gymnasiums. It's not like sports is the one-off, where they're the guinea pig or the test project. Everybody everywhere simply has to do it. And we know that nobody's perfect. For example, where I broadcast this show, I can't walk out of my office door without wearing a mask. I can't go into any public areas or have anybody in my office where we are conversing and not have the mask applied. That is a big deal because in a job where you're communicating, you obviously want to communicate. But I just feel that this is the time to do this. And yes, the Vancouver Canucks have implemented this, as have the Calgary Flames, the Edmonton Oilers, the Winnipeg Jets, Toronto Maple Leafs, Ottawa Senators, Montreal Canadiens, all seven Canadian NHL teams have decided that they're going to have to show proof of vaccination at the door, a negative COVID test, and in BC, you're going to have to wear your mask as well. It's not optimal. We all know that. It is unequivocally one of the greatest challenges I think that we've faced in our life because you know the one thing that I will say it's really showing 
the underbelly of our society, hasn't it? I didn't realize there were so many people that had such differing opinions of me and were so angry about it that they didn't have more support. The one thing that I have to remember is we are so fortunate here in British Columbia, so fortunate as Canadians, that we at least have the option to go get vaccinated, that we have the option to go to venues. And if the only thing I have to do is wear a mask, and show a card that says that I'm likely not carrying COVID-19, that's an easy trade-off. Like, I don't mean to say this is a, you know, a rude person. I'm not trying to patronize anybody that maybe doesn't agree with this, but I don't care if I'm wearing a mask or not. I'm not trying to win any beauty pageants. I'm not trying to win a Mr. Universe. Like, dude, it's a mask. You just throw it on and get on with the day. You take it down when you're eating your food or you're sipping on your drink, but aside from that, it's up and you just get through it. Like. I think I'm past the point of, wow, this is awkward. Like the other day I was at Metro Town and I did not wear my mask into that facility. And I couldn't believe how uncomfortable I felt being the only guy walking down the hallway or the corridor that was not wearing a mask. Like it was glaringly obvious that I was in the minority. And that's fine because what I ended up doing is went into one of the stores, bought myself a mask, threw it on, and now I could breathe easier. Go figure. So I just think, and I'm not saying this is a statement, I'm not getting paid by anybody, nobody cares what I think on this, but I just want to say to all my friends and listeners and everybody that does stop by the sportscast every once in a while, it's time to just buckle down. I think we all wear it. It might be for two months. It might be for four months. Who knows how long it's going to go. But let's wear it until we can get enough people vaccinated that we could finally take these masks off once and for all. Because I think we all knew when BC lightened up their policies in the spring, this was coming. Because there's no way with the Delta variant and the numbers popping up around the world that we weren't going to have this happen. Well, guess what? It's now happened. So throw it on. If you're going to school, if you're in high school or university or grade school, just wear a mask as well. I have a little goddaughter, Eliana, and she wears her mask to school every day. And you know what? She doesn't complain. If anything, it's just become a part of her normal norm. She goes to school, throws on the mask, and it's just a, a part of the psyche. That's just how it is now. So I think it's us adults who have to act like adults and realize that we are still so very lucky. If this is the worst thing that we have to do by comparison to some of the other countries around the world where they don't even have vaccinations available to them, let's just do it. Like, let's just get it on and, and just move on. I think we can do this if we all pull the rope together. Not optimal, but definitely something that we have to do. And just put your personal uh, stuff aside because then we can go to Canuck games and Lions games and Whitecaps games. You know who my heart breaks for? The Vancouver Canadians. The Vancouver Canadians Baseball Club announcing just yesterday that they're not coming home for the 2021 season. That is two straight years of no baseball at Nat Bailey Stadium. Not a single game, not a single pitch has been thrown in two years at that facility, which is heartbreaking for two guys and Jeff Mooney and Jake Kerr that have put their money, their heart, and their soul into that organization. I mean, think of what they've been through. Not only have they had to deal with COVID, but they lost their second minor league team down in Lancaster in the California League. That's millions of dollars right down the toilet. And then all of a sudden, you realize for two years they haven't been able to play at Nat Bailey Stadium, the one team that did make the cuts from minor league baseball, and they didn't catch a break there either. It is just one of those situations where you look at certain teams and you're like, man, I can really feel for them, and I do hope that they get a chance to come back and start to uh, not just put money in their pocket, but uh, enjoy the process as well. I can't imagine the last two years for anybody within the Vancouver organization has been enjoyable. 
Fingers crossed that everything is good by the time we turn the calendar to 2022. All right, let me get off my soapbox here. Just a reminder, we're here Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. If you're a wrestling fan, tickets are now on sale for Nation Extreme Wrestling, NEW1. And yes, you will if you come to this one at the gaming stadium. Have to wear your mask. And yes, you're going to have to show a proof of vaccination or a negative COVID test. That is just the world we live in. But we can't wait to see you out at our facility. So please join us on September the 11th, the 7 p.m. show. Uh, it is my wrestling company, Nation Extreme Wrestling. Chris Perry's in on it. And uh, so many people have been so kind to help me out and just navigate the waters and make this a smooth transition as we go from an idea that was on a napkin to an event that uh, we're hoping to sell out in just a couple of weeks' time. Until you and I do this again tomorrow, I'm Rob Faye. Thank you. I really do appreciate you just checking in on me once in a while. Let's do this more often, shall we? My thanks to everybody at Equity Guru. My thanks to Chris Perry, Galen, uh, Asan, J.P. Chung, and the irreplaceable Priscilla Choi. And special thanks to my producer extraordinaire, my brother from another, Jay Swing, who has been here for every single show. We're closing in on 100. 100 shows in that song. Until then, I'm Rob Fay. Have yourself a fantastic Wednesday. Be safe, and let's meet here again tomorrow on uh, Thursday. Take care. Sports Bar Radio was brought to you by Equity Guru, investment information for the new generation. Visit us at equity.guru and let's make some money together. Please note, any mention of companies on this podcast is part of a promotional campaign, and the information you hear should be a part of extensive due diligence. As well, always get advice from an accredited financial advisor before you make any investment decision. Protect yourself.